Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, it's 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. Thrilled to be here. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor there. He is. He's a sports editor. Great. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writer. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers... Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself <laughs> and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. Good morning, everyone. Welcome into the Sunday Sports Shootout here on 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. As always, I'm your host, Nick Schultz. Quite the week in sports this week. I gotta tell you, they gave me a lot to talk about. Nationally and locally. But before we get to all that, I gotta tell you what I did last night. I was at the Bulls game for my internship. It was great. Well... Mostly great, and you'll hear why at the end if you don't know how the game ended. It was kind of cool. You got to be there for the pregame, postgame show, and got to meet Jason Goff, who's one of my... I remember when he was at the score here in town, he was one of my favorite score hosts. Now I work with him at NBC Sports Chicago for another month or so. Got to meet him, got to see the pregame show. Will Purdue shook my hand. That was kind of neat. And uh, got to go down to the media room during the game. Got to shadow a photographer. And then the game ended. The Bulls lost. Again. Blew a fourth quarter lead. Again. So I got to hear old Jim Boylan talk in person. Which is actually... That's kind of neat hearing Jim Boylan talk in person instead of through a TV screen. And then I went... With the photographer to the locker room, we talked to Wendell Carter, talked to Zach Levine. It was really neat. Other than the loss. That was how I spent my lively Saturday night, and then I went to the studio and helped run teleprompter, and then I went home. Typical college student Saturday night. But the Bulls lost again. Yeah, typical. Typical Bulls. The loss of the Brooklyn Nets at home. Did I mention it was at home? 117-111 was the final. Kobe White, who's a guard, had nine rebounds and seven points. Now, I may not be the biggest basketball junkie, per se. I wouldn't say I'm an expert in it. But I don't think a guard's supposed to have more rebounds than he does points. Again, just guessing. But that seems to be the consensus. Phone lines are open. 773-508-9589. 773-508-WLUW. 
if you want to chime in to anything I'm talking about, and man, if you follow me on Twitter at NickSchultz underscore seven, you know there's a lot to get to. Before we do anything else, I want to do a little bit of a recap of a crazy, crazy, crazy weekend in Loyola Athletics, because this is Loyola Student Radio Station, and I cover Loyola for the Phoenix, so I got to give the Ramblers a little bit of love. Women's soccer team yesterday played in the NCAA tournament in Hempstead, New York against Hofstra University. Game went to overtime. It was 0-0. They kept up with them. And the Pride won one nothing on a golden goal in the 94th minute. So the Loyola women's soccer season is done. They went undefeated in conference play. They were on a 12-game win streak going into the NCAA tournament. The men's soccer team is playing in the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament Championship today at Loyola Soccer Park in Rogers Park. I will be at that after I'm done here. So I'm naturally wearing my stocking cap and I have my big coat with me because I'm getting on the train back to Rogers Park, hopping on a bus, and going to the soccer game. And if you if you know me, you know I don't know soccer that well, so this is going to be fun. Loyola beat Bradley in the semifinals to get there. An interesting note about that game against Bradley. Bradley scored a goal in the 14th minute. Loyola and Bradley played twice in the regular season. Both games ended in double overtime at 0-0 ties. I kid you not. Both games, one in Chicago, one in Peoria. 0-0 ties. Loyola beat the Braves 2-1 in the semifinals, and they play undefeated Missouri State today. Missouri State's the only undefeated team in D1 soccer. It's going to be a really good game. I'm excited for that. Loyola women's volleyball team locked up the number two seed in the Missouri Valley Tournament. They beat Bradley as well on Friday, three sets to two. The highest finish for the volleyball team since joining the Valley. It's the first time they've made the conference tournament since my freshman year when they finished in sixth, to give you an idea. A lot going on. Well, let's also talk some Loyola basketball, huh? <laughs> What a week for the basketball team. Tuesday night, they're playing Coppin State. If you know anything about Coppin State, you probably know that Coppin State is not a very good basketball team. According to Ken Palm rankings, Coppin State was 346, that 353 Division I teams last year. Vegas favored Loyola by 22.5 points. The only way Loyola could have lost that game, or so we thought, was if they got caught in class or the bus broke down or something. And I don't know how, the, and even, even the game was at home, so I don't even know if the bus breaking down would make a difference. Coppin State came into Gentile Arena and beat Loyola two years off of Final Four, 76 72. Man, that <laughs> was not great. This was after Loyola lost to Furman at Furman, 87-63, or some, some, something like that, I think. I think that's right. So, yeah, Rambler Nation went into a little bit of panic mode. To be honest, it was kind of funny. It was kind of funny in a way to see, but also you don't want to see them lose to Coppin State. I mean, it, it's Coppin State. That... <laughs> You heard the stat? 
346 out of 353 D1 teams. People were starting to write off the season. St. Joe's coming to town on Saturday. St. Joe's beat UConn on Wednesday. Yes, UConn. So you're thinking, oh, great. Here we go. They're going to start the season one and three. No. They didn't. Because Loyola came out yesterday. Not a good first half. They beat St. Joe's 85 to 68. So I'm I'm kind of transitioning here. You'll see where I'm going. It's been a tale of two teams again for the Loyola Ramblers. And as I've said on this show many, many times, probably too many times, my favorite show of all time, my favorite TV show of all time is the West Wing, Aaron Sorkin. There's an analogy when... Toby Ziegler, the communications director, is meeting with Jed Bartlett, the president. He's talking about the two Bartlett's, Dr. Jekyll and Uncle Fluffy. Uncle Fluffy showed up for the Loyola Ramblers in the first half yesterday. Dr. Jekyll showed up in the second half. Oh, wait a minute. We're talking about two different teams, Dr. Jekyll, Uncle Fluffy. Hey, that sounds a lot like the Bulls. Oh, come on. You got to think about it. The fourth In the fourth quarter... The Bulls are terrible. See, you see how I tied that in really well? That's what I was going for there. See, we're staying with the basketball theme, and I managed to tie it together. The fourth quarter, I was texting my dad during the game, and we were just, he's talking about, like, how the fourth quarter is going to go, and I'm like, the fourth quarter is their worst. And I want to say, I don't even, I'm trying to pull up the box score. I'm trying to remember what the score was after three quarters. I want to say the Bulls were winning, but it wasn't with much room to spare. That's what I'm trying to find the box score here. I'm on Sports Reference, which is a great site for stat heads, by the way. I've been using it a lot lately. That's how I find all those fun Loyola stats that I tweet out from from time to time again. This is an awesome site. All right, where's the box score? It's also it's kind of tough to navigate sometimes. Bulls won 117-111. Yeah, we know this. Here we go. So through three quarters of play, keep in mind the Bulls scored 19 points in the first quarter. <laughs> Whoo! Bulls were up 78-74 to after three periods. And I'm thinking, okay, they're not playing bad. But the fourth quarter is where Uncle Fluffy wakes up. Brooklyn outscored on 43-33 in the final period, and the rest, as they say, is history. Let's back up a little bit, though. 19 points in the first quarter. You're telling me that the team that kept up with Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks the other day scored 19 points in the first quarter against a Brooklyn team that was, objectively speaking, worse than the Bucks. The Bulls and the Nets came in with four wins apiece yesterday. Yeah, Brooklyn was up 30-19 to after that first quarter. Then the Bulls went out for 37 in the second. I don't know where that came from. Man. I wrote a column a few weeks ago that Loyola basketball could be our only hope. Because us struggling Chicago sports fans are watching... Whatever that is that the Bulls are playing. 
The Hawks are actually playing decent. Well, I'll talk about them a little bit too. The Bears are the Bears. I don't know. I don't even know what to do about them. The Cubs and the Sox are in the offseason, and so are the Sky and the Red Stars and the Bandits. They're actually worth watching. They are. Like, people don't watch them, but they're very good. And people should watch them. But they're in the offseason, so you got no reprieve. Of course, I write that Loyola basketball is our only hope, and then they go and lose by 24 to Furman. And then, I, and then they go and lose to Coppin State. It's a banner week for this student colonist. I'm surprised I haven't been on old takes exposed yet. That's not giving anybody an idea. I don't want to be on that account. 773-508-9589 is the number. 773-508-WLUW. If you want to chime in on anything at all, within reason, call me up. I'm here for another 45-ish minutes. Clock in front of me still says it's 12:14. That's cracking me up. I have to keep looking at my computer to make sure that I'm straight on time. An interesting development in the baseball world this week. I'll get to Blackhawks. I'll get to Bears. I'll get to all that in a little bit. But I want to talk about this crazy story in the Athletic. If you follow me on Twitter. And if you don't, you should. You know that I have been following this pretty close. Let's dig in. November 13th, which was, what's today, Sunday? Of course it's Sunday, I'm on the air. This was Wednesday. Ken Rosenthal, and Evan, I'm going to butcher this, Evan Drellick, I think his name is. Apologies if I mispronounced that. Put out a story on The Athletic with a headline, Three Major League Managers Are Connected to Astro Sign Stealing. No, this isn't the first one. No, that's not the first one. Are you kidding me? Well, that was underwhelming. Let's get the initial story up before I dive into that one. There it is. November 12th. That makes more sense. Same writers, it's just, this is the first, that was the, I read the headline for the second story in this whole thing. Okay. The Astros stole signs electronically in 2017, part of a much broader issue for Major League Baseball. Now, I'm not going to read this whole article, because it went into The Athletic, Inc., to give you an idea of how long it is. Inc., for The Athletic, is very long form. And I retweeted it when it came out, but I'm not going to read you the whole thing because it's going to take probably, oh, it's going to take a while. I was going to joke that it'd take the whole show, but that would be a little bit of an over-exaggeration. So I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. The Astros had a camera in center field. They had a monitor somewhere in the clubhouse or in the stairway to the clubhouse, I think is where it was. And they'd have somebody watching that screen and picking up the signs. And they'd find a way to convey those signs to the hitter during games. And it's really interesting because you go on social media, which social media has been really fun with this. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. And people found a video because Danny Farquhar who pitched for the White Sox at the time, 
picked up on this, on the fact that the Astros were stealing the signs, or at least had an idea that they were stealing signs. Because if you watch the clip, they show up. They show a pitch where, like, he does. He doesn't step off. Farquhar comes set, which you could see me because I'm doing a demonstration. If I get in the other studio when they got that up and running, like with the cameras, you'd be able to see me. Farquhar comes set, and before and as he comes set, you hear or something like that from the Astros dugout. It's them hitting a garbage can to signal to the hitter, who was Evan Gaddis, that, hey, something off speed's coming. And Gaddis followed off. So Farquhar looks in for the sign again, and he comes set, and then you hear again. And Farquhar steps off, calls the catcher out, and they change up the signs. So people were picking up on it, but I don't think they knew that there was a camera involved. And I... When this, when this came out, I was talking about it in Phoenix Newsroom, and one of my assistant editors—he's not a baseball guy—he's like, "Well, they're giving—they're flashing the signs on the field. Shouldn't they be able to get? Shouldn't they be able to steal signs like that?" And I said, "Yes and no." As someone who used to steal signs, I did. I sat the bench in high school. So what I'd do is I'd sit there, I'd watch the third base coach, I'd see what, see what he was doing, I'd try and pick up the signs. I got pretty good at it, too. But you know how I did it? My left eye and my right eye. That's it. I didn't have glasses then, so it was just two eyes instead of four eyes. But that is how you steal signs. That is not against the rules. That's not against MLB rules. What is against MLB rules is using a camera, a phone, an iPad, a smartwatch, something electronic to help you pick up the signs. I'm going to say it. Picking up signs is tough. That's not easy. That's why I take such pride in it. I'm like, man, I got really good at that. Like, that's not easy to do. You ever try counting cards? I'm trying. It's Yeah, counting cards is tough, too. It's obviously not. It's very, very frowned upon, borderline illegal. But like, you've got to have the, you got to have the focus there. And that's why, like, when I was sitting on the bench, I'm like, okay, it gives me plenty of time. I'd go over there and I even watch the, I'd even watch to see if the coach was flashing signs to the catcher to pick up what the pitch would be. But to use a camera, come on. And then, that was the year the Astros won the World Series. You Darvish was pitching for the Dodgers at the time. Dodgers and the Astros played in the World Series. It was said that Darvish was tipping his pitches during the World Series, and that's why he got beat up so bad. Did he, though? Was he Was he really? Was he, was he tipping his pitches? Or were the Astros stealing his signs? And everybody who went after you, Darvish, on Twitter is coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, I'm sorry, you, like, I, we owe you an apology, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I don't think he was tipping his pitches anymore. Like, I used to, but now hearing this. And also, I, w- I want to just take a second. Hitting a garbage can, that's your way of signaling 
that you have the signs? Let me let you in on a little secret. Hitting a garbage can is not subtle at all. There are, there are better ways. <laughs> there are way better ways. For starters, why not just shout like a nickname or something? If it's going to be a curveball and you got Carlos Correa batting, you're like, hey, let's go CC. Let's go. That's how you know a curveball is coming. That's how you know it's off speed. You say a nickname. That's easy to do. But hitting a garbage can where people can hear it on TV and everything, I think they were also whistling for one game and they were doing some other stuff like, man, if you're going to cheat, at least cheat well. Like, it's just bad. And then here's the headline I accidentally read. Three major league managers are connected to this whole thing. A.J. Hinch, obviously, is the Astros manager. He led him to the World Series. Alex Cora of the Red Sox, he was the bench coach that year. And Carlos Beltran, who was playing that year, and he's the new manager of the Mets. That's still weird to say. Same with David Ross managing the Cubs. Both of those are just, that's just weird. I remember they, they both played within the last two years. But here's the, the Astros have been pretty silent. I feel like they gave a statement to Rosenthal and Drellick for their initial story. Alex Cora and A.J. Hinch declined to comment. Beltron, in a text message, said the Astros did nothing wrong. Quote, we took a lot of pride studying pitchers in the computer. That is the only technology that I use and I understand. It was fun seeing guys get to the ballpark to look for little details. In the game of baseball, guys for years have given location, and if the catchers get lazy and the pitcher doesn't cover the signs from second base, of course players are going to take advantage. I don't call that cheating. I call that using the small details to take advantage. I think baseball is doing a great job adding new technology to make sure the game is even for both teams. Back up for a second. So you're saying they didn't use a camera? Pretty sure they did. There's pretty good evidence that they did. Now, he made a good point about standing on second base. If you're a catcher, you got to find a way to mix up the signs so that make it at least tough for someone on second base to pick them up. Because that runner's going to be looking in. And they'll tip their helmet or something if they get if they pick it up. But again, if you're using your left eye, your right eye, and your brain, kudos. Like, credit to you. Like you were able to pick them up. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make fun of a guy who picked up signs, quote unquote, the right way. Because I know there are people who are against sign stealing in general. And yeah, I mean, I, it's not the, it's not exactly the most ethical thing to do, but it's pretty fun. And it gives you that much anything to get an edge. So this is absolutely wild. And now the Brewers are being rumored to be in on the sign stealing stuff. And th this is where social media was fun. Brett Taylor, he runs Bleacher Nation. It's, it's a great account if you don't follow it for Cubs fans. He tweeted out a video of Christian Yelich at the plate. And I've watched this 
so many times, I still can't tell what Brett was getting at. Apparently, Yelich's eyes dart toward left center at one point, and then back to you, Darvish. This is all back to Darvish, by the way. And Darvish stepped off. He saw he credit to you. He saw the he saw Yelich's eyes move, and he stepped off. He called. Uh, what, I think I think Contreras was catching at that point. He called Contreras out, and they switched the signs around. I don't know if the Brewers are in on this thing or not, but as my dad just texted me, it's part of the game to steal signs, like I said, with your eyes and your brain, but don't use technology. And then Darvish replied to Brett's tweet. This The tweet went bonkers. And like I said, you Darvish replied to it, and I'm trying to find it because he he's apparently tweeted a lot in the last few days. But Darvish got in on it, and then Yelich, Yelich replied to Yelich replied to Darvish. So I'm trying to find this chain of tweets. You, you gotta, I gotta read it to you, for you to understand like what I'm getting at here. So I'm going to Yelich's profile because this, you, I can't capture it. Okay, here. So someone retweeted the video from Brett, and you replied. I'm not sure what he is trying. I'm cleaning up a little bit of grammar. I'm not sure what he's trying to do, but to be clear, his eyes move first. That's why I step off. Here's where it gets fun. Christian Yelich replies, be better than this. Nobody needs help facing you. Oh, man. Cubs Twitter went nuts. Brewers Twitter went nuts. And then Josh Donaldson, former Cubs prospect, and now an all-star, he replies to it with the skull emoji and goes, I could use some help off him. What you got? That's that's funny. You got to get you got to give credit where credit's due there. That is that's great. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. And you reply you replied to uh Yelich's going didn't I say I don't think he's stealing signs? Because d- he did. He said that in a separate reply. Darvish did. Darvish said that he didn't think Yelich. W- he didn't necessarily think Yelich was stealing signs. But this is so much fun. Baseball Twitter has been so exciting this week. But again, my problem isn't with sign stealing. Don't use technology. Just don't. I know it's I know there's so much out there. And wow, my dad read my mind. This is exactly where I was going with this. I just got a text, so my dad covers the bandits for Flow Softball. And my sister plays softball. Okay, I'll give her credit. She's pretty good. She was all conference as a sophomore. I'm going to brag about it. I don't care. She was all conference as a sophomore. I'm taking credit. I taught her everything she knows. There we go. I said it. I got that off my chest. My dad just brought up an interesting point over text. Wristbands. Softball uses wristbands. If you're not familiar with the wristband system, 
Each player has a big black wristband on their wrist. That, yeah, that's redundant, but okay. And it's got a piece of paper on it with it looks like an Excel spreadsheet. I want to make sure I'm getting this right. And the coach will flash some numbers, and they look for the corresponding numbers on their wrist. Now, as I said, I got pretty good at picking up signs through high school. You cannot pick up what's on a wristband. Because I've seen coaches flash three numbers. There's usually two numbers that correspond. You don't know what numbers they're looking for, and they've probably got duplicates on there to try and make it so you can't steal the signs. It's genius. If baseball wants to get rid of sign stealing, that's the way to do it right there. But as long as they're going to be using the touch system or flashing numbers, whatever, yeah, people are going to pick up their signs. But yeah, wristband. If if you haven't seen one of these wristbands, look it up because that is a great, great system. You see it in softball, it works great. By the way, you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout here on 88.7 WLUW with Nick Schultz. If you have any thoughts on anything I'm talking about or anything I'm going to talk about because we're going to talk about the Bears here in a minute. If you want to chime in, 773-508-9589, 773-508-WLUW. I think that's all I'm going to say about the Astros stealing signs. It's a, if you get the chance, read Ken Rosenthal's and Evan Drillick's stories about this. Because this is just the beginning. MLB's investigating, the Astros are investigating. Not a great look. Keep in mind, the Astros were the same team that was, uh, I want to say they were stealing, not stealing, like they hacked the Cardinals or something a few years ago. That's why people are surprised, people are quote unquote surprised on Twitter. They're like, what? The Astros are cheating? No. I had no idea. That's because of that whole thing. Let's talk football because it's Sunday and the Bears are playing. On Sunday Night Football, in front of the whole country, against the Rams. Yay. America, I'm apologizing in advance. I don't know which team you're going to see. Going back to the analogy I made earlier, I don't know if you're going to see Dr. Jekyll, the high-powered offense that if it runs and if it runs a if it runs quick enough, it'll succeed. Where if you're gonna see Uncle Fluffy, where Mitchell Trubisky cannot complete a pass. Speaking of Trubisky, I've heard this a lot on sports radio this week, and I'm glad that I finally get a chance to talk about it. This is why I wish I had like a more than once a week show. This is one of those weeks. Did anyone see the report in the Tribune from Rich Campbell and Dan Wiederer about Ryan Pace and Mitch Trubisky? If you haven't, whoa, read it. The headline is, Why did the Bears draft Mitch Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson? And they took a deep dive into this. 
this is another one of those where I'm not going to read the whole story because it's lengthy. But in short, Ryan Pace fell in love with Trubisky. And I don't think he would have settled for anyone else. Deshaun Watson was called by his head coach, which I don't know if I agree with this comparison, but I'm I'm using it for the sake of my argument. Deshaun Watson was called the Michael Jordan of football. Again, I don't agree with that comparison, but I'm just using this for argument's sake. Deshaun Watson played in a national championship. Deshaun Watson was a Heisman contender. Now, I've said on this, I've said in this chair, because it's been that recent that I've said this, in this chair, on this show, on this, on these airwaves, that when that draft was going on, I had never heard of Patrick Mahomes. So I'm keeping Mahomes out of I'm I'll touch on it, but I'm I'm more focused on Deshaun Watson right now. Maybe it's because I have him in fantasy. But that's not important. We don't care about how bad my fantasy team is. It's bad. It's 25 bucks I'm never going to see again. Deshaun Watson was 32-3 and in college. He was a Heisman runner-up and a national champion. But Ryan Pace decided he was going to latch on to one Mitchell Trubisky and trade up for him, which you didn't need to do. You didn't need to trade up for him. He'd have been there at number three. Here are the numbers that Rich and Dan put in their story. In mid-November of the quarterback's third season, talking about Trubisky, Mahomes, and Watson, the statistical comparisons are startling. I'm going to read this in reverse order. Deshaun Watson, 32 starts, including one playoff start. 8,500 passing yards, 64 touchdowns, 23 interceptions, a 102.7 quarterback rating, and a 20-12 and record. Patrick Mahomes. 27 starts, including two playoff starts. 8,580 passing yards, 71 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, a 111.5 passer rating, and a 19-8 record. Mitchell Trubisky, 35 starts, including one playoff start. That's more starts than the other two have. 7,100 passing yards, 40 touchdowns, 22 interceptions, an 87.2 passer rating, and a 19-16 record. I've defended Trubisky on these airwaves. I joked that I was on the bandwagon until last week, and then he went and threw three touchdowns, and I was chasing that bandwagon down State Street, man. But come on. I've... I joke that I defend Mitchell Trubisky. I joke that he's going to win the MVP. I, I joke a lot about it just because I like pretending to be a Meatball Bears fan. And maybe I am a Meatball Bears fan. I'll own that. I don't care. It's football, baby. I don't care. I would take Deshaun Watson over Trubisky 200 times out of 50. I would take Patrick Mahomes every time and then some. 
But the Bears were looking for their next Drew Brees, is what this report says. He's looking for the next Drew Brees because he worked in New Orleans when Brees rose to start him. Keep in mind, Ryan Pace did not respond to a com- or did not respond. He didn't want to comment on the story. That's a big difference there. He didn't comment on the story because Ryan Pace goes into hibernation during the season. We have not heard from Ryan Pace this season. Need answers. But I'll I'll save I'll save that because I'm still going I'm still going through this story as best I can because I've only got about 20 minutes left. But Pace was dead set on Trubisky. In the pre-draft process, the Bears didn't host Mitch, they didn't host Mahomes, they didn't host Watson at at Hallis Hall. Here I'm quoting from the story. Instead, over a four-day span in mid-March, the Bears embarked on a three-city, three-quarterback scouting trip. Ryan Pace, Josh Lucas, and Coach John Fox, offensive coordinator Dowell Loggins, and quarterbacks coach Dave Ragone began in Clemson at Watson's Pro Day. From there, they visited Trubisky in Chapel Hill, Mahomes in Lubbock, Texas. They hosted dinners and private on-campus workouts with Trubisky and Mahomes, but not with Watson. Hang on! Let me read that last sentence again. They hosted dinners and private on-campus workouts with Trubisky and Mahomes, but not with Watson. All right. You heard the numbers that Deshaun Watson had in college. National champion. Heisman runner-up. 32-3 and record. You don't want to have a private on-campus workout and host this guy for dinner? What are you looking for in a quarterback? I said it when I was talking about Trubisky a, while, a couple weeks ago. When the draft was going on. I will never, ever, ever forget this. I was in Denobly Dining Hall on Loyola's campus eating dinner because I was hungry. I knew the draft was going on. So I pulled out my phone. And I had Twitter open. And I saw the Bears were trading up to number two. And I stop and I go, holy crap, they're taking Deshaun Watson. And I got all excited. And then I turn on the feed. And I hear Roger Goodell come over the microphone and say, with the second pick in the 2017 NFL draft, the Chicago Bears select Mitchell Trubisky, quarterback, University of North Carolina. And I was like, oh, he'd have been there at three. Why'd you trade up? But now I find out that they didn't host Deshaun Watson at all. Are you kidding me? I don't. I still don't understand after reading this story why Mitch stood out above these two. I, man. I don't, I, 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 
read this and I have no idea what to think. Because <laughs> if you get the chance to read the whole story, read it. Because <sighs> this, yeah, Pace declined to be interviewed for the story. And it says, Pace and his top lieutenant, director, player, personnel, Josh Lucas, became magnetized to Trubisky by midseason and ultimately reconciled some of their bigger issues that deterred others, including some within the Bears organization. I'm at a loss. I really am. Because as much as I've all I've been a meatball fan for Mitchell Trubisky, I would much rather see Pat or Deshaun Watson. I'd much rather see Patrick Mahomes too. But I'd much rather see Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes on the lakefront. And the reason I just default to Deshaun Watson is because I keep giving this disclaimer. I had never heard of Patrick Mahomes until last season. And now, now he's everywhere. But I, I didn't know who he was when he was at Texas Tech. And I know a couple of people who were like that too. But you knew who Deshaun Watson was. I'd only heard of Mitch because he was a name I kept hearing the Bears throw around. That's the only reason I'd heard of him. He didn't do anything. He only started one year. In college, the story also says, Trubisky threw 572 passes total. Watson threw 1,200. Mahomes threw 1,350. Every time he got in the game, Ryan Pace said on draft night talking about Trubisky, something happened in a positive way. I wish that was still the case now because that offense looks downright pitiful Unless it's going hurry up. And where is Ryan Pace? Why, oh why, is Matt Nagy the only one speaking for the organization right now? Because Nagy's dealing with the brunt of everything because Pace isn't out there. Where is Ryan Pace to defend his guy? You're seeing this on the west side with the Bulls. Gar Foreman and John Paxson aren't talking to the media. The Bulls are better than their record shows. They were talking playoffs at media day. Gar and John are nowhere to be found. Even though I saw John at the game last night, he was in the locker room. He wasn't available for media, but he was in the locker room. What is it with GMs in this town and not talking to the media? Stan Bowman's guilty of it, too. At least Theo and Jed are transparent. At least Rick Hahn will go out and talk. Where is Ryan Pace? And Pace is usually pretty good with the media. When he does have a press conference, it doesn't go bad, usually. I don't even think it ever has gone, quote-unquote, bad. But he needs to come out of that hibernation because this offense is downright pitiful. If you're as fired up about this as I am, give me a call. 773-508-9589. 773-508-WLUW. 
and read the Tribune story on Trubisky. Reg Campbell and Dan Weeder did an awesome job with it, considering Pace wouldn't be interviewed for it. Let's look at tonight's game. The Rams are six and a half point favorites over the Bears in LA. And I this is another one of those weeks where I don't know what's gonna happen. Last week, I said I didn't know what was gonna happen, but I thought the Bears were gonna win. They did. Barely. I this this week is just gonna be a roll of the dice. We'll see how the offense is, though. <laughs> oh man, it's just it's just bad. I know they won they they won twenty to thirteen over a Lions team that was without its quarterback, and they should have won by more, and they didn't. I'm frustrated. You'd think after a game like that, a win after a four game losing streak. You would think I'd be like, oh, they won a game. They look good. Eh. Eh. I've seen... I've seen better. I've seen worse. They should have won by more. They didn't. The offense was sluggish in the first half again until the... until halftime came around. And I would like to say, though, Trubisky threw that touchdown after I turned down the game. And then he threw two more touchdowns when I had the game on in my apartment. And then I left my apartment to go to a meeting, and he didn't throw another touchdown. I'm not saying I'm taking credit for it, but I'm saying I'm taking credit for it. So, you're welcome, Chicago. I can't say that'll be the case tonight when they're on a national stage showcasing this offense to the entire United States on NBC. It's going to be a weird game. But we move on. And how about the Blackhawks, by the way? I'm done talking about the Bears. I'm done. I'm, I'm done being mad. How about the Hawks? So like I said, I was working the Bulls game last night. And it was kind of down a rabbit hole. It was kind of cut off from everything, just kind of in the zone, watching the Bulls, watching them blow a lead again, listening to Jim Boylan talk about how disappointed he was after the game and how a slow start set him off. But they're staying the course, even though they said they were going to make the playoffs. I'm going to digress before I get back to my Bulls rant. I got back to NBC Sports Chicago with the photographer I was with. And I saw the Blackhawks were winning when we left the United Center. I'm like, okay, cool. They're beating Nashville. I don't I don't like Nashville. This is great. As after Pecorine said that when the Preds shut out the Blackhawks a few weeks ago, it's the easiest shutout of his career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they answered that one well. Hawks won 7-2 last night. Robin Leonard had 41 saves. Are the Blackhawks back? I'm not sure if I'm ready to go there yet. But they're looking good. They're not the cup teams from 
2010, 2013, 2015. But they're looking good. I like Robin Leonard in goal better than Corey Crawford. I'm going to say it. I said that at the beginning of the year. I said after the first game when Eddie Olchek was on the air saying he thought Corey Crawford had a great game, I had to hold back because I, I didn't want to disagree with Eddie Olchek. He's Eddie Olchek. I didn't want to disagree with him on hockey. He played hockey. He coached hockey. He's a hockey. He's one of the best, one of the best, if not the best hockey analysts in the country. And I'm not a hockey guy. I never played. I've only, I think I've ever been ice skating a couple times. I didn't want to disagree with him then, but I didn't think Crawford looked that great. And Robin Leonard's out here making 41 saves and 43 tries. That's pretty good. Considering the Predators gave up seven goals. But hey, easiest shutout ever a couple weeks ago. We got about 10 minutes left. If you got any thoughts, any opinions, you just want to talk, 773 508 9589. Again, 773 508 WLUW. I got 10 minutes left before they kick me out of here. The Cubs are going partying. Transition a little bit. We'll talk a little Cubs. Party at Napoli's, baby! That's right. The Cubs hired Mike Napoli as their quality, assur- quality assurance coach on David Ross's staff, according to a source familiar with the team plans in the Athletic. That's Patrick Mooney. My roommate and I joke about Mike Napoli all the time because Mike Napoli played for the Indians. My roommate is an Indians fan. Mike Napoli played for the Indians in 2016, and we always joked, party at Napoli's. Because that was the bit that was the t-shirt. It was everything. The party at Napoli's is coming to Chicago. I don't know what the point of a quality assurance coach is, but I'm here for the party at Napoli's. It gives David Ross a really close friend on his staff. And I think I think he's gonna be a good addition. I think he's a future coach. Coach future coach, future manager. But Ross is also keeping Tommy Hadovy is pitching coach. Mike Borzello is going to be the associate pitching catching strategy. And Anthony Iaposi sticking around as hitting coach. And Will Venable staying on as a base coach. They don't have the other base coach yet, so I don't know. Is Venable staying at first base? Is he moving over to third base? I don't know. Personally, I would have done my best to keep Brian Butterfield. Because I like Brian Butterfield. He's got a great mind. But he's with Joe Madden now. I think. Did he go to the Angels? I think he went to the Angels. Brian Butterfield. Uh, I believe he went to the Angels. Y- yeah. So I would have done my best to keep him, but they didn't. And another interesting note that was underneath the Napoli news and the Patrick Mooney story in The Athletic. Can you tell I've been reading The Athletic this week? The Cubs have Japanese outfielder Shogo Akiyama on their radar as they explore ways to boost production from the leadoff spot and improve their up-the-middle defense. Uh, Akiyama, who will turn 32 in April, 
is a left-handed hitter with a career 301 average for the Cebu Lions. I think I mispronounced that. Across the five last... Uh, wow. Let's try that again. Across the last five seasons in Japan's Pacific League, his on-base percentages look like this. 419, 385, 398, 403, and 392. Good. A productive two-way center fielder is a rare commodity in today's game. That is correct. Someone like Akiyama would allow the Cubs to diversify their lineup and move Jason Hayward back to right field, where he's won five gold gloves. It doesn't sound like the Cubs are going to get Nick Castellanos back, which kills me because I like Nick Castellanos. I think I like I think I like this guy. I also saw a highlight someone shared of him playing against major league players, and it was was a world. It was some world championship or something or uh, not the world baseball classic but I think it was something similar guy hit an inside the park home run granted it was because Juan Soto misplayed the ball but that could be interesting free agency is upon us And nothing really came out of the GM meetings, I feel like. Other than, obviously, the Cubs partying at Naples. Oh, yeah, here's something I forgot about. Why am I hearing talk of Brandon Morrow coming back on a minor league deal? Why is that even being entertained? I... Mooney lays it out really well. After signing a two-year, $21 million contract... Brandon Morrow converted 22 of 24 save chances and posted a 147 ERA before the 2018 All-Star break and didn't throw another pitch. See that 21 mil? Gone. Why, oh why, oh why is this even a thought to bring him back? I don't care if it's on a minor league deal. I don't care if he's playing for free. No. Absolutely not. No way. No. Just stop yourselves right now. Because you spent $21 million on a guy who got who went in for 24 save chances, converted 22. That was all in 2018. Take your lumps. Okay, we blew this one and move on. That's it. That's all you gotta do. Don't don't even think about it. Theo. Yeah, don't don't think about it. Not not even a little bit. I don't know how this offseason is gonna go. Are they gonna be out of money? Is somebody gonna get traded? Wilson <laughs> <Some> Contreras. <coughs> Sorry, fighting a cold. Now, I do think Contreras is going to get traded. I think he's the odd man out. I think Victor Caratini is going to be your temporary starter next year. I think your infield core of Bryant, Baez, and Rizzo will stay. Second base, I could see being Nico Horner. I've also heard Whit Merrifield's name being thrown around, which if you could get Whit Merrifield, like, all right, I'm good with that. So we'll see where things go. 
I think I hit everything. I don't know how I managed to do that in 56 minutes. I think I left some stuff out because, well, that's typical me. I'll probably think of something on the train back where I'm like, oh, man, I should have talked about that. So as I said, after this, I'm going out to Loyola Soccer Park where the Ramblers are facing Missouri State. Games at 1 o'clock you can watch on ESPN+. Plus. I will be out there in the cold because why not? It's championship soccer. I don't know soccer that well. I can tell you what a yellow card is. I can tell you what a goal is. No, I joke about it. I am actually, I can I can tell you what an offside is now. I'm really proud of myself. Been here four years. I'm finally learning soccer. So I'll be out there. The Bears play tonight in front of the entire country. I said it before and I will say it again. I'm sorry, America. You're not going to watch a very good offense in the first half. It's going to be bad. And I'm going to predict it now because I like my chances. They're going to go three and out on their first drive. I love Kevin Fishbane on Twitter. And he always does how the first drives will go. Or how the first drives went. And it's borderline depressing how this goes. And that's why I like my chances. First drive stats for the Bears this year. Week one, six plays, 12 yards, punt. Week two, three plays, one yard, punt. Week three, nine yards, 25 yards, punt. Hey, week four, 14 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Week five, seven plays, 31 yards, punt. Week seven after the bye, three plays, seven yards, punt. Week eight, four plays, seven yards, punt. Week nine, three plays, one yard, punt. Week 10, three plays, seven yards, punt. So, the whole country is going to see the Bears go three and out on their first drive tonight against the Rams. I don't know if the Rams are going to win the game. I don't know if the Bears are going to win the game. I don't know if anybody's going to win, going to win this game. I think this might be one of those games someone loses. The Rams won't win. The Bears would lose. The Bears wouldn't win. The Rams would lose. We'll see. The Bears also don't have tight ends because Trey Burton and Adam Shaheen are both hurt. Not that they did much anyway. But they'll, I guess, try. Oh, man, I'm dreading it. I got about 20 seconds left. So I want to thank everyone for joining me on today's show. I've said it the last couple of weeks, and I'll say it again next week. Hopefully I'm in a better mood next week. Because hopefully the Bears would have won. The Bears, or the Bears. Hopefully the Bears had won. The Bulls would look like they know what a basketball game is. And I don't know. We'll see. So that's it for me. Thank you for joining me, and I will see you back here next week on WLUW. Have a great week, everybody.